Morning, Grace. How are you? You're clapping. You're clapping. You know, people have energy after Kevin does what Kevin does. And it's hard to describe what he does, but nobody can do it like Kevin can do it. Amen. 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 That's good. Um, little uh, piggybacking off the weekend to remember announcement. Um, we have been told that there are scholarships available for the weekend to remember. So if you're at all interested in going, I will just say that Tyne and I attended one of those early on in our marriage, and it helped out a lot. I'm still needing fixing, but it was really helpful. Oh, she probably would say different. But um, so it was super helpful, and uh, if you are at all interested in going to the weekend to remember, don't let not having the money to do it be a barrier. There are still scholarships available and you'll be able to see Martin and Stacy at a kiosk in the back or call the church for that as well. So um, as we, before we get into the message, let's open up with a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we worship and praise you this morning. Father, Son, and Spirit, we invite your guidance and your presence to speak to us today. We know you're already here, Lord God. We pray that we would be sensitive to what you have to say to us. We pray for open hearts. Receptive spirits, teachable spirits, Heavenly Father. Uh, and we pray, Lord God, that you'd block out any disturbances from the enemy so that your word can hit the place where it needs to hit inside of us. So we pray, Lord God, that you would just teach us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we see with horrific news regularly, especially uniquely now, like stuff that we're hearing from Israel like every single day. And as we've even experienced in our own lives, this world is fallen and evil. And yet we know that we have a good God, a faithful God. We have to reconcile somehow the goodness of a faithful God and the broken and fallenness, brokenness and fallenness of the world. Mankind commits horrific sin. There are natural disasters and disease. We experience loss and suffering. And so as a result of Genesis 3, I thought Doug, Pastor Doug did an amazing job last week unpacking Genesis 3 and showing us the chaos that results as a result, as a, because of sin. And yet in this world of despair and disappointment and suffering and sin, God's grace still somehow carries on. Uh, I don't have to tell you this because you know this. Grace is the name of this church. Amen. And grace refers to God's favor. God's disposal to incline himself toward fallen people despite sin. God's willingness to lean toward us. Your, your sinfulness doesn't scare God. He wants to save you from it by his love. Grace is God revealing the goodness of his character because God is inclined to bless us. By grace, you've been saved. And grace towards others is a marker of people who've been touched by grace from God. 
And we're teaching in Genesis 4, and I want to just remind you, there's so much in Genesis that, you know, we've provided these Tuesday evenings at 6.30 for you to come and go deeper in Genesis. So I'd like to take, uh, invite you to take advantage of that, um, and everybody can drop in. You don't need to call ahead or anything like that. If you need childcare, which is available, you do need to let them know so they can know how many people they would need. But besides that, I just want to invite you to uh, come for Tuesdays at going deeper in Genesis. But what we see today and what we will see today is that the world that we live in is marred by sin and destruction and pain. And nonetheless, the, God, the grace of God carries on. Um, if you are able, I invite you to stand and I will be reading from segments of Genesis 4. Uh, this is page 3 in your Bible or page 20 in your Genesis workbook. So I'll start uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, if you have driven me away, you have driven me away today from the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Going to verse 23 now. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also was born, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You may be seated. This is the word of God. Now what's revealed in the fourth chapter of Genesis is just how far humans have fallen. Let's be reminded that three chapters earlier, we just read in Genesis that 
God created everything and he said it was very good. But disobedience brought destruction. It brought chaos. It brought isolation. Yet and still, we have to continue to read Genesis 4 and the rest of the whole Bible. And literally, we have to experience reality with the perspective that God is always good and perfect and holy. Tell them you're busy. Now, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And after the fall in chapter 3... The next 1,186 chapters contrast the absolute goodness and purity of God with just how sinful and fallen humans can be. My work here today is not to convince you that the world is broken and fallen, right? Are we good with that one? Okay, okay. So we're putting it in perspective though. Here in chapter 4, just after the fall, it's the first indication the first view of the effect of that sin and God's engagement with humanity in the context of humanity's fallenness. This is a sobering chapter, but one in which we can hope in God's goodness. I preached through Genesis 1 through 11 when I was pastoring at Renewal, and uh, I saw things this time that I didn't even see then. And... Um, I, I'm like as humbled as I've been to preach a message because there's so much in here that's just profound. So let's just work through it. We're going to look at first chat, uh, verses 1 through 16. The world became very dark after the fall. Now sometimes we hear people say that the world right now is worse than it's ever been. Although I don't know how they know that because they haven't always lived. And I'm not so sure about that. Adam and Eve were created as adults. Thus their first child was the first baby, Cain. Now most people love babies, at least their own. And grandparents especially love their grandbabies. Just ask them. Babies represent hope and purpose and the future and love and all that is good and blessed about family. I was so blessed to be a father. I distinctly remember when I carried my oldest son, Stephen, across the threshold when we brought him home from the hospital, I was weeping about the lack of sleep I was going to get. And the No, I'm joking. I was weeping because of the joy, the joy that Stephen brought me and still brings us, right? So, yeah. But in Genesis 4, we read that the first baby was Cain. He was born to Adam and Eve. Shortly thereafter, we come to the realization that the first baby also became the first murderer. So much for thinking that things were better, so much better in the past. Since the original disobedience from Genesis 3, the world has been plunged into chaos and isolation and destruction and sin and suffering. And every single person since then, everywhere, has always needed the grace of God fully realized in his son, Jesus Christ. So my humble request is that we kind of pump the brakes on the notion that now is worse than it's ever been. That is kind of self-centered. It's been bad since Genesis 3. And what we do see in Genesis 4 is what happens when the free will and the human agency, the choice that Pastor Doug talked about last week, is met with sinful disobedience and sinfulness. We saw that God gave people free will. God gave people, like Pastor Doug said, that boundary, that invitation to choose. 
which is how Adam and Eve could eat from a tree that they were strictly forbidden to not eat from. God didn't program them to not do bad things. God told them don't do this and he let them make a choice. He gave them what we call agency. He told them not to and they did because God gave them the ability to make decisions even if they're disobedient ones. In this passage, we read that Cain is jealous of Abel because God approves of Abel's offering, but not Cain's. There are reasons to believe, as we read through it, that Abel's offering was more costly and thus sacrificial, thus reasonable to regard. We read that it was the firstborn of his flock and fat portions. These are considered, were considered at the time precious and valuable to the giver. And when you're giving God things that are precious and valuable to you, it's a reflection of your regard to the God that you're giving them to. When the sacrificial system is later introduced in the Old Testament, God gives standards for the offerings that are given to him. And God's making it clear that he does not want our sloppy seconds. What we give and how we give is a statement about our regard of God. I notice here that when God confronts Cain about his discouragement regarding his offering, Cain responds by saying, am I my brother's keeper? Now the question just hangs there. It doesn't really get answered. But I believe it gets answered later. Just put a pin in that question. But here Cain shows extreme self-concern. Cain is radically individualistic to the point where he sees Abel, his brother, as an adversary. And the family community that God gave to Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve would literally be torn apart because jealous Cain's only concern is himself. Selfishness always destroys the family unit and the community of which it's a part. Cain's selfishness And jealousy finds its ultimate fulfillment in the murder of Abel. Now, as we see throughout Scripture and as we know from life, again, very bad things are done by human beings. Things that God could not possibly agree with. As I read this and as I look at Scripture, I do not believe that there's any way God's will was that Abel be killed. But he was. Because as we saw in Genesis 3, as we see here, as we see throughout Scripture, God believes our ability to make choices and decisions, even when they're evil, is more important than him programming us as robots and forcing our will. The world we live in is not the way God made it to be, which was very good. Pastor Doug, again, did a great job teaching about choice. Sinful people can choose bad things. For example, in Jeremiah 19.5, God says this himself about the sacrifice of children by pagans at the time. He literally says, they have built high places to Baal on which to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I never commanded or mentioned, nor did it even enter my mind. Did God not know? Well, God knows everything, of course. And yet God gives mankind freedom And sometimes, often, innocent people get hurt. So do we blame God? We can't. No. The Bible informs us repeatedly that God is not only good, but the author of all that is good. And the reason why he will judge sin is because sin happens in the fallen world. And all sin, 
will be judged by God. Every tear will be wiped by God. God will overcome all sin. All evil will be judged fully and finally and ultimately. But at the same time, for now, we live in a broken, fallen world where there's evil, where there's loss, where there's disease and suffering. And it will happen, but God's grace still shows up and carries on. And it will overcome. And that's what we trust in as followers of Jesus, the faith that God will prevail. We read in, um, in Isaiah, his thoughts aren't our thoughts and his ways aren't our ways. There aren't neat answers to everything, but there's a God we can trust in his character and his holiness. So you're looking at Genesis 4. There's two things in this passage that shocked me. And as I was going through this, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of times there's like little sayings or ways we think about God that we don't necessarily get from Scripture, but they try to help us understand who God is. And I think in some ways these two observations might even contradict some of the things we typically think. The first one is, it's shocking to me that God's regard for Abel's sacrifice doesn't keep Abel from being murdered. We don't purchase God's love. He doesn't exchange it for offerings or church attendance. God's love is and is constant. He, he's not a vending machine whose favors we can buy. Unfortunately, in this fallen, broken world, bad things do happen to good people. Abel wasn't perfect. None of us are. But Scripture shows, us, shows Abel is faithful in God's eyes. And yet Abel's sacrifice, his suffering, his untimely death doesn't buy his way out of the calamity, out of being the object of Cain's hatred and his murder. And so we need to be careful that we don't have a Christianity where we think we operate on a quid pro quo basis with God, where if we give enough, then God is obligated to return the favor. Somehow we might think he owes us if we give to him. But that's not how it works. Admittedly, God does want our sacrificial giving. He wants our service. He wants our love. But there can't be any equality about it. What God has done for us in Christ could never be paid by us anyway. Our job is to praise him and thank him and offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Because grace isn't grace if it's earned. The other thing... That's just as challenging to me in this passage. Is Cain's murder of Abel doesn't keep Cain from God's grace. Stop for a minute and think about the worst person you can. The person who's done the most evil and harm you can think of. Would you give them grace? Would you offer them forgiveness? Would you extend love to them? We just read that God protects the first murderer with a mark so that no one else will murder him. Now, I don't know where the other people came from. Adam and Eve probably went to work. Uh, we read in a few sentences. What we read in a few sentences happens over many decades. There are many more people coming into the world, and humans are multiplying. What we do know is, just like throughout the rest of the Bible, there's a lot of people and a lot of things happening, and yet God is telling a story through a line of people. He's telling us a story through Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and so on. But what we see with this truth is that grace doesn't just mean the absence of punishment. 
Cain is banished. Cain is, God talked about a curse, but God's love is still available. God still somehow protects Cain from murder because that's the kind of God God is. God literally makes it so Cain won't receive the treatment that he gave to his brother. This, I was reminded of Dylan Roof when I read this. Roof is a young troubled man who went into the historic Mother Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina on June 17, 2015. You might remember. Roof was in the church for 45 minutes. He was sitting in the Wednesday Bible study with 12 church attenders, including the pastor. And after the 45 minutes, when they closed their eyes for prayer, Roof opened fire on them, killing nine of them and injuring a tenth. It was a horrific and evil tragedy. Authorities believe had he not ran out of ammunition, he would have killed himself. Apparently, after Roof was arrested, he complained of hunger, and the officers bought him Burger King. And the picture that sticks in my mind when I think about God's mark on Cain was a picture of Roof being transported with a bulletproof vest on. The authorities ensured the protection, even the nourishment, of a murderer, a cold-blooded murderer. This image is frustrating, and yet it reminds me of God's mark on Cain. It was God's grace to keep the first murderer from experiencing that which he dealt out to his own brother. Grace is unfair and it's not extended to the deserving. Otherwise, it's not grace. We love to talk about grace as unmerited favor. And we love to receive unmerited favor because we know we can't earn it. It's not as much fun to give unmerited favor. We really would prefer other people earn favor. But you can't. If I'm honest, and I better be when I'm doing this, I do not like seeing people who've done evil get grace. Thankfully, I'm not God. I have to tell you, this image absolutely still infuriates me when I think about what he did and their protection of him. And yet, I also think the scandal of people such as you and me receiving such from God that we would be able to in time in the future, stand before a holy God as if we've never sinned at all, despite everything we've done, should be just as scandalous and just as shocking to us. But sometimes we tame grace and we kind of convince ourselves we're not that bad. And God kind of, you know, it's okay. You and I both run the risk even of thinking that all the evil in the world is out there with people like Dylan Roof and others. But you do not have to be a murderer to be in desperate need of God's grace. Nobel laureate author Alexander Solzhenitsyn once famously wrote, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessarily only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. I happen to believe that the challenge, the journey of spiritual formation includes self-awareness. In touchness with who you are, your motivations, the things that wire you. We should be in touch enough with ourselves to recognize that what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said is absolutely true. There's evil in us, not like Christ, that God wants to purge us, that God uh, has saved us from. 
Every single human being has done enough to need the crucifixion of Christ for their own personal salvation. It's not theologically honest to look at sin on a curve so we can get a passing grade. God doesn't do that, and we all need his grace. And sometimes I think it's very difficult for us to extend grace to others because we're not enough in touch with our desperate need for grace personally. So why does Abel die so young and Cain get protection? Why do innocent people suffer? Only God knows. Our job is to trust him and his goodness and recognize that God is working with a much bigger frame of reference than we are. And our frame of reference, were we to be honest, is very self-centered as well. We see a small part of the big picture. God sees it all and God knows exactly what he's doing. Again, he will ultimately judge all evil and everything will be taken care of ultimately. The world has fallen. There are natural disasters and disease, despair, disappointment, suffering, and sin. And each of us suffers in our own way. One of the saddest things in my life was when, when I was 24 and my dad died. My dad's early death is an example of my experience of pain. On my next birthday, I will be the same age my dad was when he passed. Now, he wasn't perfect. Who is? But he was a faithful Christian man. He loved the Lord and served in a variety of roles in the church, not begrudgingly. Serving Jesus gave Albert Stapleton life. And yet my father passed away at 59 years young, leaving me an only child and my mom behind. And that's just one example of something I've experienced. I recognize the fact that so many people in this room have so many, and even online, have so many different experiences of the sadness of loss and suffering. One thing I can say is that God knows, and as we're reminded in Genesis 1 and throughout the Bible, God is good despite our painful circumstances. Yes. Though people suffer in this fallen world, God's grace persists. In the Lamech story in uh, verses 17 through 24, we get to him, and God continues to show how fallen mankind has become. Lamech is the seventh from Adam through Cain, and he's the first polygamist, which may be notable. He brags about killing someone for injuring him, saying vengeance belongs to him, Lamech, and that he will extract a greater toll than God set for Cain, saying if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is 77-fold, almost saying I get to be a greater standard, set a greater standard than God himself does. Lamech contrasts the fallen character of man with the holy character of God. To whom does vengeance rightfully belong? You can't claim Christianity and go for the jugular against your opponents. No holds barred. In the matter of Cain, God reveals himself as confronting horrific, the horrific sin of murder with grace, revealing the goodness of his character. We see this character in Jesus when he was on the cross. Peter describes it in 1 Peter 2.23 as follows. Jesus was on the cross and he says, when he was reviled, Jesus did not revile in return. When Jesus suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's the grace of the Jesus. That's the character of Jesus. That's the character we are aiming to be like. We have instruction on this in Romans 12, 19. We read, beloved, never avenge yourselves, 
but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Christian character is the opposite of vengeance. Toward the end of, at the end of Genesis 4, we read that God's grace carries on. In the very last section of this chapter, the last two verses, we read that God's plan continues. Seth is appointed to Eve as a replacement for Abel taken from her. Now, you couldn't really replace Abel, but it would become through Seth's line that Jesus Christ would be born. And scripture ties the renewal of this family line to people calling on the name of the Lord, seeking and worshiping God. So there's hope at the end of this passage. There's grace at the end of this passage. God's plan carries on. God's grace continues to carry on. As we look at the full revelation of Scripture and apply it here, we are informed that there's not only evil in the world, and God's grace extends toward evil humanity, or all of us would be uh, suffer of, of a horrible fate, but there's something even more. God's ultimate answer to sin and suffering is Jesus himself. See, when Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer was no for him. Jesus' answer is yes, I am my brother's keeper. He sacrificed his body to crucifixion because you and I needed atonement for our sins. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. That's God's grace. When the Abel, Abel, the favored brother, was murdered by Cain, the jealous brother, it foreshadowed God's favored, only begotten Jewish son being murdered by his jealous Jewish brethren. That's God's grace. When Lamech pridefully said, I take vengeance, Jesus said, I absorb vengeance in my body on behalf of the world. I humbly take on myself God's just vengeance on sin on behalf of others in sacrificial love. That's God's grace. When Eve said, God appointed another son for me, Jesus said, God said, Jesus is the son through Seth's line through whom I will fulfill my promise to bruise the head of the serpent and destroy the works of the devil. That's God's grace. See, in a sinful and suffering and fallen and broken world, Jesus shows his love for us, not in standing apart from mankind and watching, uh, watching us wrestle and struggle, but entering into the brutality of the horrors and personally experiencing rejection and persecution and mockery and torture and crucifixion. Torture. Torture is not a word. And crucifixion. Identifying with us in human suffering and pain and hurt, the only true innocent dying because of horrific sin. When we, when we talk about the problem of evil, when we talk about how everybody else is suffering, we can never forget the cross. And I know that the cross is empty right now, but sometimes we can forget a body was on it when we look at it. Because we like the empty one. But a body was on it. And a cruciform life is the life we're called to live. See, though we read of God's wonderful grace in the face of mankind's horrific sin, we must be put on notice that if we follow Jesus, we're expected to extend the very same grace God has given us to those around us. I showed a picture of Dylan Roof as an illustration of God's mark on Cain and God's grace in that situation. But there's another picture of the grace of God associated with that whole situation. On June 17, 2019, there's a USA Today article 
and it wrote what happened in the courtroom of Ruth's hearing. And this is what we read. Only 48 hours after having lost mothers, sisters, sons, husbands, and wives, their loved ones appeared in court for Ruth's bond hearing. And what transpired was something no one could have anticipated. It was the first time any of them would come face to face with the perpetrator of the hate crime as the judge presiding over Ruth's bond hearing invited them to make a statement should they wish. First up was Nadine Collier, who lost her mother, Ethel Lance. I forgive you. You took something really precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Collier said while fighting back tears. Chris Singleton, who lost his mom during the shooting, said, I never thought I'd be able to forgive somebody for murdering my mom about his choosing to forgive Dylan Roof for gunning down his mother, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, and eight others at church. While not everyone was readily able to forgive Roof for his actions, a few family members followed suit and said that they too forgave the gunman. That's God's grace. See, it's not just supposed to save us, it's supposed to shape us. Am I my brother's keeper? Who exactly is my brother? Even someone who murdered my loved one? Worthy of forgiveness? Only God, brothers and sisters. When we're shaped by the grace we've received from God, we cannot help but extend it to others. See, God has called the church to bear witness to his character with our character. We're not called to fix a broken world, but witness to God's goodness through our love and sacrificial service. Through our revealing of the kingdom that God wants to bring through Jesus Christ. God's grace carries on to us and through us. So Grace Community Church, I ask you this morning, is God's grace shaping you today? How is God calling you to live into your name? How are you to represent God's love and favor in a broken and wounded world of horrific sin and suffering? The Lord gives us the strength in our weakness to fulfill his purposes. Let's fulfill them today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for this morning. Um, Lord God, we thank you for your word and your spirit and the revelation of things, Lord God, that we have to admit, I have to admit, I don't fully, completely understand. But I trust in your goodness. I trust in your perfection. I trust in your holiness. I know, Lord God, that we have to reconcile what your word says about you and what we see when we look out the window or what we see when we read the news. That's why we look forward, we proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ one day. So Lord God, I just pray that we are not just happy about being saved by grace, but allowing you to shape us by grace so that we can show your character to the people all around us who've been made in your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, so uh, we will have after the service prayer counselors up front. And I received uh, some of the things that the team that prayed beforehand 
heard as they were praying for this service. Uh, they heard if there's somebody with right hand pain, that means pain in your right hand. Um, back pain, not the same as right hand pain, that's in your back. Uh, if somebody's struggling with depression or there's a, someone in need of deliverance from bondage to drugs and someone in need of peace who needs freedom from constant fear, please if these sound like you, if there's other things you might want to, you're carrying that you would like prayer for, please feel free to come down after the service is over and someone will be able to pray with you. Um, but I invite you to do that, and I pray that you have a wonderful rest of your week. Praise you. Praise Jesus. <laughs>